You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, lucky lockdown pop and lockers, hopefully not licking lacquered surfaces. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 208. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your quaint quarantining quartet of quackas questioning quantum quandaries. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. You gave me PTSD with that alliteration because I lived in when I was living in Japan when I was going to school there. We uh, did we made like traditional lacquered Japanese boxes, and they told us like, now listen, some people may have an allergic reaction to this, so please put on these rubber gloves. And I'm like, okay. And then I rested my forearms on the table, not getting any lacquer on myself at all. Just rested my forearms on the on the table where we were working, and I got from the bottom of my wrist down to my elbow like the worst poison ivy imagine oh the worst poison God. ivy you've ever gotten in your life red blistery angry it was bad nothing on my hands though because i had those gloves Whew. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do you know what what was it it's in... it's a natural substance that's from i think like a tree so i mean it's oh. sort of the same thing as like you know i don't know if this exact same thing as poison ivy but it, it had a, i had a similar reaction to it yeah all right, guys. Well, I know something that we're not allergic to is trivia. So here, uh, without further ado, <laughs> let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card. You guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. Let's answer some questions. Here we go. Blue Edge for geography. In which country would you dine from a smorgasbord? <laughs> I'm going to give that one to Dana, our, our resident Please. expert. So Sweden, they have it. It is Sweden. And okay. I, I apologize if I mispronounced it. Does it say on the card what smorgasbord uh, translates to literally? Or do you know, Dana, maybe? Not to put anybody on the spot here. Uh, I've known. I, I, we've I've talked about up. this with my in-laws before, and now I'm blanking. I will give you the wrong information if I guessed right now. Oh, okay. Here. So comes from, so smorgas is bread and butter and then board is table. Okay. Ah, so butter, butter table. All right. Pink wedge for pop culture. In the movie Pulp Fiction, all the clocks are set to 420. True or false? <sighs> 20 yeah. after four. Uh, Chris. True. False. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, I've never heard of that. That's, yeah. That's a bad uh, trivia question. The card says, although many of the clocks show the time 420, others do not. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Yellow Wedge, who was the first sitting U.S. president to appear on a late night talk show? Oh. Sitting president. Uh, that was Colin. Jimmy Carter. Incorrect. Mm. Dana. Is it Bill Clinton? Incorrect. Mm. Oh, Chris. good guess. All right. How about um, uh, late night talk show? How about Richard Nixon? It is Barack Obama. Really? Wow. I would have guessed wow. Bill Clinton, but he wasn't sitting president. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was before, was, right? Got it. So, card says here his 2009 appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno made history. So, sitting president. Oh, that's a good trivia question. That is a good one. Purple Wedge for Literature, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy March are the central characters in which novel? Dana. Little Women. Little Women, correct. Louisa May Alcott. Green Wedge, what was the first operating system installed in 1981 on IBM's first personal computer? Dana, again. DOS? Can you be more specific? MS-DOS? MS-DOS! Oh, is that it? Oh, okay. What does this stand for? Do we know? Microsoft. Microsoft DOS. Disk operating system. Last question. Orange Wedge. Brocade, Calico, and Crepe are all types of what? Brocade, Calico. Chris. Fabric. 
Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I thought it was going to be cat. Yeah, I was thinking like too literal. <laughs> I was like, too, lace? Yeah, or, or not literal enough, lace. I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> crepe cats. I like to see some crepe cats. All right. Good job, brains. Hey. Well, uh, I think we're about three episodes back into our uh, new season, the resurgent season of Good Job Brain. I don't think we have mentioned once uh, <laughs> in more than maybe more than in passing. There's been a lot going on the last year plus, uh, certainly in our lives and around the world. There's been a pandemic. There's been a lockdown. There's been... <laughs> You know, various degrees of quarantine around the world, depending on where you live. I don't think there's any aspect of our lives that has not been uh, influenced in one way or another. So I think I think we couldn't avoid doing a show on the pandemic. So let's talk about the pandemic, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week, let's lock it down. <laughs> so keep your love locked down. Your love locked down. Keeping your love locked down. On the show, we uh, we rarely award real prizes uh, to each other for good performance or for winning <laughs> things. I think almost almost never, I would say. Well, historically, we've done some prizes, a sucker prize, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we had the the twenty year old gum. Dana once gave us moose, no reindeer cheese and moose cheese. And I think, Chris, once you made a Grammy Award. An the actual, posthumous Grammy, yeah. Yes, yep. using paper plates. I did. Today, I actually have a quiz for you that is uh, somewhat challenging. One of you three uh, will win a real prize, like Ooh. a real good prize. Okay. So now, during lockdown, a lot of websites and services found success in our kind of newish lives. Grocery deliveries and, of course, video conferencing programs and services, entertainment streaming, uh, and one other website that allows uh, people to pay for personalized video messages from celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. I'm talking about Cameo. Cameo started in Chicago, uh, actually back in 2016. Uh, but mm. obviously, it really exploded the past year. And so here I have a quiz. I went on the Cameo website. Uh, I have sound clips of five celebrities, and I'm going to play them. I need you to identify who these people are just by their voice. In any parts where they say their names or or where they're from, I've edited out. And this is a a write-down quiz. So go ahead and write down one through five. Okay. So out of these five people, I'll tell you what category they're from or their backgrounds, and maybe that will help you guys. Okay. Um, so we have a we have a politician, we have an entertainer, we have an internet celebrity, we have a musician, and we have an athlete. And of course, the winner of this quiz. I will commission a cameo from a celebrity (laughs) I think you will like for a personalized message. Okay, here we go. Hello, everyone. I am live at Cameo Now and looking forward to recording videos for you and your friends. Your wish is my command. Keep it real. Keep it respectable. And then it's time for me to record videos for you. Cheers. Oh, wow. Hmm. Number two. What's up, brothers and sisters? It's off the charts, but always in your hearts. You know what to do right here. Birthday wishes, graduations, breakups. You're fired. Those things, I can do them all. The whole spectrum of emotions. Hit me up. Let's have some fun. All right. Here we go. Moving on to number three. Holy moly. Mike Newman, is that you? Because when Macy looks in your direction, she sees the most amazing dad on the planet. In fact, if being a dad were an Olympic sport, you would win bronze, silver, and gold. You'd just be the entire podium. It's like you're super Mike. Okay, number four. Here we go. She says her name and where she's from, and that got cut. 
Okay. Hey, I just joined Cameo. Just in time for the holidays, we can spread some Christmas cheer for your loved ones. Perhaps a lump of coal for your not-so-loved ones. Either way, we can have a ball with this one on Cameo. Look me up. Mm. So here we are, number five. You can book me for birthday wishes or whatever weird stuff you want to come up with, shout-outs and whatnot. Book me on Cameo.com, and uh, I'll see you on your phone, I guess. And my brain is like, mm, mm, mm. what were the roles again? Tell me that what were the, 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 the there was a, an, an entertainer, an athlete. What was it? Internet celebrity. Uh huh. Okay. An entertainer, an athlete, a politician and a musician. Okay. That's not the order, right? That's not, that's not the order. That's a random okay. order. If I honestly, if I get one, I'll be happy. Really? Yeah, it's it, very- this, is, this is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard. Yeah. I feel like um, there's going to be several like, oh, all right. Answers up, number one. Keep it real, keep it respectable, and then it's time for me to record videos for you. Colin says, Hugh Jackman. Dana says, oh, I, I said movie phone guy. I changed it. It was oh, that's uh, a good guess. Ed O'Neill. Yeah. And I also, I like, I like Chris's guess too, but. I said Michael Buffer, like the let's get ready to rumble guy. Maybe I'm like, maybe he can't say it on Cameo or something. I don't know. I just couldn't, I just couldn't think of something. Yeah. What did you? You know what? Chris gets the point. It Whoa. is Bruce Buffer Wait. For, for UFC. Oh. Uh, you're going to give me a point for that? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. Uh, Wait, are, are, these, are those two different people or am I... Is there Michael related. Buffer? Oh, They're my brothers. Goodness. Oh, oh, my so goodness. Incredible. Michael wow. Buffer is Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Wow. Bruce okay. Buffer is I should get the point. So it's time wow. is his catchphrase. All right, number two. What's up, brothers and sisters? It's off the charts, but always in your hearts. You know what to do right here? Colin says, John Bon Jovi. Dana, yeah, put, you put. I said Rock of Love Guy. Ah. Because I was thinking like, yeah, like obviously this is the, he's like, I'm off the charts, but I'm in your hearts. And uh, so this yeah. is the musician. I'm like, well, he did this reality show. Guess. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It is, is Mark it? McGrath from. I have no idea what that is. Sugar Ray. Oh, oh yeah. No, Mark McGrath. I, knew he, I knew he was on Cameo. Interesting. Yeah. He has a, a big, a big okay. serious show now, but that is that is a very good guess. Okay, number three. Here we go. You would win bronze, silver, and gold. You'd just be the entire podium. It's like your super mic. Colin put Tony Hawk. Dana, you put <laughs> Billy D. Williams. <laughs> and then Chris, you put I put Logan Paul. You might know him better as Chocolate Rain, Mr. Oh. Tazon Day. Oh, wow. wow. Going, going, throwing it back. Moly. Throwing it back. But that makes sense, actually. Yes. He does the like, kind of talk like George Takai. I almost put that, oh. but I was like, I don't think that's... All right. Number four. This is our politician. Perhaps a lump of coal for your not-so-loved ones. Either way, we can have a ball with this one on Cameo. Look me up. Four, I got, oh, I got this, win. actually. I got this without the hint. Really? Okay, yeah. so... Yep. Chris, Sarah Palin, Dana, Sarah you put Palin. Sarah Palin, Colin, Sarah Palin. You are correct. Mm -hmm. That is her. And number five is our athlete. Book me on Cameo.com and uh, I'll see you on your phone, I guess. Uh, uh, Colin put Logan Paul. <laughs> Got to switch. Uh, Dana, you put? Uh, Tony Hawk. Chris, you put? I put Tony Hawk. It is Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. Whoa. Oh. That's funny. A lot of people don't recognize him by sight, so I'm very happy that you guys recognize him by voice. Yeah. You know, it's because uh, the people not recognizing Tony Hawk has kind of become a meme. Uh, and then you said an athlete, and I, I was stuck on it for a while, and then just Tony Hawk kind of floated into my head. I was like, I have no idea what Tony Hawk sounds like, but I could totally mm. see. He sounds he sounds so uh, humble and self-effacing. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. He's not selling the, it. Yeah. The other yeah. way, other people are like, let's do this. Yeah. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hire me if you like. All right. Good job, everybody. That was very hard. Okay. This is all our right. winner. I, I, guess, I think Dana and I got the same two correct. Yeah. And then as, like, as the tiebreaker, I got the brother of the, <laughs> the, the buffer, the buffer breaker. The more famous brother. Yeah. It's because the first when you said that, I was like, oh my God, his name is Bruce. 
Yeah, I've been calling him Michael this whole time. Whenever he, whenever he comes over for dinner, I'm calling him Michael. I'm even correct me. Correct. All right. Well, I I already have someone in mind. Uh, I actually had people in mind for all of you for for cameos, but uh, Chris, uh, stay tuned. And I'll, I'm I'll... scared. I'm scared for you, Chris. I know. Okay. Are you going to play it on the episode? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll play. It. Okay. We'll play it when okay. it's done. Okay. Cool. I always think about that saying necessity is the mother of invention. Like you really need something. So you make mm. something to solve that problem. Um, and there's some periods in hum- or in humanity where there's been a lot of inventions. And those are in wars, in pla- mm. during plagues, and during depressions. Tons of patents come out of depression. So this quiz is war, plague, or depression. You have to tell <laughs> me what horrible <laughs> event. Cause this invention. This is the horseman of the apocalypse, right? Wow. (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. Good, good upbeat. Let's do it. I know. Let's write it down. Let's do it. Make it a write down. All right. So the first invention, modern style porcelain toilets. Was this war, plague, or a depression? Modern style porcelain toilets. Hmm. I feel like we need a catchy like game show like war. Plague or depression. (laughs) Wheel of fish. Okay. I'm ready. Colin, what do you say? Colin says war. Karen says plague. Chris says Uh war. It's the plague. It was the influenza pandemic. Of 1918. I don't know why I started it off with a little bit of a tricky, like they kind of existed. Toilets definitely already existed, but they, most people had the wooden tank that was above the toilet. Yeah. Then after that, uh, the influenza pandemic, everybody got very health conscious and like wanted to clean everything. So they made the whole toilet porcelain and then it basically phased out wooden toilets completely. Gotcha. Super Sterilize it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next one. Boxed mac and cheese. Not the mac and cheese you get at a cookout. Like the craft mac and cheese. Ooh. With the neon orange powder, the delicious cheese chemicals you put on your noodles. Mm. Okay. Ready? Okay. Chris says war. Colin says war. Karen says war. It was the Great Depression. No. Yes. yes. I thought it was going to be like ration. No, well, it did get more popular during during World War II, but during the Great Depression in 1937, you could feed a family of four for 19 cents. Right, it was right. it sold a lot doing that, mm-hmm. and then when food rationing in World War II happened, it sold even more. So I was just reading an article because the article was just published about somebody who tracked down uh, Annie of Annie's Mac and Cheese, who has since sold the company. But mm-hmm. it turns out that she also invented smart food. And that the cheddar popcorn. cheese really? powder, the smart food popcorn, the cheddar cheese really? powder on smart food is what she originally used for her mac and cheese business. And after she sold smart food for $15 million, then she started developing the, the mac and cheese business. And so smart food oh. lady is the Annie's oh. mac and cheese lady is the same powder. That's oh, interesting. How about oh. that? She's wow. good at cheese powder design. Really good. <laughs> She's yeah. super good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> back yeah. to back champ of yeah. cheese powder. She nailed it's it. Not a one hit wonder. <laughs> there was one summer I remember in the 1980s. I mean, I probably about 30% of my allowance went to smart food popcorn that summer. You know, I, that <laughs> was so big then. It was a thing, yeah. Touted as, as low fat. Right, because yeah, it's popcorn, because yeah. it's mostly air, and, and then, then you it go on like cheese bags of it, and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next dimension: super glue. Was this war, a plague, or the depression? Ooh, previously mentioned on Good Job Brain. Yeah, yeah. we better get all get this right. <laughs> okay, does everybody? Everybody <laughs> says war. Yes, this one is from the war, World War Two. <laughs> Sayono I was going to ride that war horse until it paid off. <laughs> you know, some of them are about war. It's true. You'll get some <laughs> some points doing that. So cyanoacrylate was discovered accidentally by scientists who were trying to make clear plastic gun sights, but that it was too sticky. Can you imagine like sticking your eye on? <laughs> Sticking your mm. eye to the gun. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to imagine. <laughs> it came back around in the fifties, and he was like, "Oh, I had this this thing." Eastman Kodak put it out as Super Glue. Eastman uh, Kodak. They were in all sorts of businesses. Yeah. Okay, 
the car radio, the mass-produced car radio. Mass-produced car radio. Hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> Colin's just been writing Chris war. Depression. I, Karen says plague. Colin says war. This was from the Great Depression. The <gasps> Galvin Manufacturing Corporation, they were a battery eliminator company, which I found out was they converted radios from battery powered to like household electricity powered. Mm. And then they were going to go out of business because of the depression. And they were like, we have to come up with something. Let's try to make a car radio that we can mass produce, like make it really efficient mm. and really good. Cheap entertainment for everybody. Yeah. It was huge, of course. Ah. And you know, they, they changed their name of their company to Motorola. Which oh! is Motor and Victrola. Well, yeah. well, well. It was a car radio company. That's interesting. Well, well, well. <laughs> That's what I said <laughs> when I read that. I was like, wow. How about that? Uh, okay, a few more. Let's see. Sex comedies. What? Like a, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're called like a genre of literature or movies. They're called sex comedies. There's comedies and there's like sex humor in it weird i know i was like this is crazy i'm gonna put this in i'm ready could be any could be any. it could be yeah, any yeah, of yeah. them really i'm yeah. just curious okay chris says war karen says plague colin says depression i like Ooh, how you each war. choose a different one yeah. this was this was from the plague yes. this was the decameron decameron by giovanni um, boccaccio it was the first work of literature as entertainment in Europe. Like they think that this was maybe the first book for the people that was just entertainment. It was written in 1352. It has a hundred stories of love and um, other misadventures told to ladies and gentlemen hiding, hiding from the black death. And uh, to make it appeal to everybody, he put a ton of sex humor in it. And they, people were like, you could do that in a book. That's really cool. You know? So it came from the plague. Okay. Next one. The photocopier was it war, depression, or the photocopier? Plague? I feel like we haven't had a war one. Oh, you're trying to metagame it? Would Dana not mix it up in order to? And, like, does, yeah. and does this include mimeograph, or does she mean? I know she won't tell us, but this is what's inside Colin's head right now. I'm I'm deleting. Chris says war. Karen says war. Colin says depression. This was from the Great Depression. Mm. Oh, man. The Chester Carlton is cited as like the father of the photocopier. He lost his job. He was an engineer of sorts. He lost his job. He got a job writing uh, or drawing people's patent applications, like redrawing photo or pictures uh, of people's uh, inventions. Uh, and it was so boring. So boring. <laughs> He's like, I have to come up with a way to make this better of a job than it is. So he figured out how to like take photos of work. Just, okay, just two more. This one is also a good job brain classic. I'm okay. going to see if you all remember. Duct tape. Oh, man. Oh, I mean, yeah, All I remember from, from talking about duct tape is it's D-U-C-K tape. Yeah. Correct. Originally. Right, right. Yep. And then it was kind of an acorn where it's D-U-C-T. Yep. And then now it's just called D-U-C-T. Yep. yep. Well, either either it? is correct. Yeah. But why a duck? Why was Right. It either is duck? correct, but the, the name originally came from, right, being, it being right. waterproof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Chris says war. Karen says war. Colin says war. It is war. Yes. World War II, a munitions factory worker invented it. So she was working in a factory and they had this ammunition in little boxes and they'd put tape all over it and then they'd dip it in wax and they'd have a little piece of tape sticking out. And like those wax cheeses where you pull the wax to oh, get the wax. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like that. Yeah. But sometimes the paper would break and then it would take extra time for people to get the munition or the ammunition out of the box. So she's like, let's use a stronger tape. And she wrote this funny letter to FDR. They were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I was like, did she make any money from this idea? It looks like no, but she got some awards. <laughs> but she like fully, she fully she designed it basically. She wrote yeah. like, she wrote out the plans for it, exactly how it would work, like what fabric to eat, all of the things. Anyway, and the last one, Newton's theory of gravity was this. Newton's theory of gravity. Or was it? A plague, or was it an economic downturn? A depression? It was because of an apple tree. Why was he with an apple tree? Because <laughs> he was depressed. Okay. 
So everybody says Ooh, plague. Yes. Plagui. The second plague of 1665, he had to self-isolate. He had just like gotten out of college or he was still kind of in college and they had he took a year off and went to his country home. And outside his bedroom was an apple tree. That was the apple. He like invented calculus there. He was busy. <laughs> Yeah, you know how it is when you're just. Yeah. I mean, I, we've all been isolated during this pandemic, yeah. and I invented a new branch of mathematics too. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. And gravity. Yeah. He called it yeah. like his year of wonder or whatever. Like he just, oh my he god, came up with like an optics thing. Yes, gra- yeah, was- you don't have to commute or anything like that. So I mean, you just sort of yeah. invent calculus. Well, they didn't have screens, <laughs> so yeah. he could just look out yeah. his window at the apple tree show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then he went back to school. He's like, you guys. Guess what I figured out while I was away. looking out. Looking out the window is called Apple TV. Looking, <laughs> looking through the prism was Apple TV Plus. Yeah. <laughs> the dad joke double up there. That's pretty good. Uh, uh... All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of the things that we were all kind of talking about, talking about the leading up to this episode was um, maybe we would also spend some time to lighten the mood talking about things that we miss doing that we can't do anymore because of the pandemic. And that I immediately thought of one thing. So way back in 2012, all quiz bonanza number four, I asked you guys what Japanese word means empty orchestra. And you all said... Karaoke. 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 Kara meaning empty and oke being short for orchestra or orchestra. A note here on some pronunciation for this. I, I I majored in Japanese. I lived in Japan for two years, um, and I still say karaoke all the time. When I'm speaking in Japanese, I will say karaoke, but like in conversational English, if I were to just say to somebody who doesn't know Japanese, like, hey, you wanted to go do some karaoke, they'd be like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? But so so I, I, I may pronounce it both ways during the segment. Uh, it, it, it's generally sort of calcified as karaoke uh, in, in uh, American English. Anyway, why am I talking about this? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. There's a lot of things we can still do with modifications during the pandemic, but something that certainly for me has been completely <laughs> off the table for um, a year plus is uh, especially Japanese style uh, karaoke. I mean, like getting into a tiny room full of <laughs> people, and and also also not only that, but uh, singing really loudly, <laughs> which is something that you're really not supposed to do because that helps the the coronavirus particles spread even more so than just sitting and talking. I remember around this time last year, Chris was gearing up for his big fortieth birthday party I was. and it was gonna be a big karaoke party and obviously we had to all cancel <laughs> and now i'm gonna turn 41 and I, you know it's, it's just like my, it's like my 40 you you think about oh well my 40th birthday i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that so i did nothing and now i'm like coming up on 41 and also it's probably going to be a whole fat lot of nothing you know what i mean so we'll see you I'll see you in 2022 when I turn 42. We're really, really going <laughs> to yeah. rip it up. Yeah. Um, so the funny thing is that so during lockdown, I'm reading you know tons of books and things like that. And I actually learned for the first time a lot about the origins of karaoke, which I would like to share here. With you. Um, so when I say karaoke, I'm talking about the technology, the machine that uh. A, plays <laughs> instrumental music from a source, B, takes your voice as an input through a microphone, uh, mixes them together, and then outputs that result out of a speaker. So that was that's the invention, uh, not the idea of like singing along to instrumental music, but like the technology. <laughs> and of course, modern day karaoke machines, in addition to playing, you know, videos that show the lyrics on the screen, you know, they let you adjust the pitch of the music, they let you adjust the individual volumes, you know, change the mix to your specifications. I learned uh, almost everything that I'm going to tell you in this segment uh, from a new book uh, by my friend Matt Alt. Uh, And this came Mm. out back in June 2020. And this book is called Pure Invention, How Japan's Pop Culture Conquered the World. 
I recommend this to everybody. Uh, it is a really well written for a general audience, like overview of a whole bunch of like things like anime, Hello Kitty, Nintendo, the Walkman and, and karaoke, like the specific things that kind of started in Japan and exploded to become popular all over the world. And the, a lot of like the stories behind these things that are in many cases haven't been told in English before. Now, the really interesting thing that he starts out by pointing out is between 1967 and 1972, uh, the karaoke machine was invented in Japan at least five different times by five different people with <laughs> no knowledge of each other's work. Oh, no. <laughs> Five-year window, five different inventions, and nobody knew what the other people were doing. So when something like that happens, you kind of have to ask why, right? Yeah. Like, clearly something was going on societally that caused multiple people to come up with the same idea. The way that Matt explains it in the book is that, I mean, well, it's all kind of intertwined with the sort of post-war rise of the salary man in Japan. That style of, I go to work at the company all day long, and then my coworkers and I leave, and we all get dinner together. And then after dinner, we all go to a bar together, and we're out until 2 to 3 a.m., kind of like getting the real work done, getting some drinks into you, and then being able to say all of the things that you can't say when you're at work. <laughs> or maybe you're entertaining clients, and like yeah. that's where the actual deals are getting done. But it's like an almost an everyday kind of thing. And it means you're getting to work very early in the morning and kind of staggering home very late. And one of the major things that was kind of happening as you're going out to like all of these bars in the city, one of the things you'd see very often was a person, um, a, a performer who might be called a, uh, a nagashi or a drifter or a hikikatari, which it would be like a player singer. This would be a musician that would go into the different bars and get paid to play popular songs on their guitar and the patrons would sing along to the songs oh, on or, demand. or if like one person wanted to sing a song by themselves like they would accompany them you'd pay them and they'd accompany huh. you yeah. and the skill sets of these players were such that like they knew how to accompany an, an amateur, maybe even an inebriated amateur in such a way <laughs> as to like make them sound better. Like they'd speed up to their playing or slow down their playing or adjust their pitch or their rhythm <sighs> to help the person that was singing and really make you feel like you were you know, a star. star. Yeah. yeah, that sounds fun. So the person who is now, after much research, you know, looking into this, the person who is now credited as the first inventor of a karaoke machine is a guy, his name is Shigeichi Negishi. He, it, was, it was 1967. He was 44 years old and he ran a factory uh, in the Tokyo area that assembled eight track tape players. Every morning, he would start his workday listening to a radio show that was called Pop Songs Without Lyrics. And they would broadcast <laughs> instrumental songs in the radio, and you could sing along to them. And this was sort of his thing. karaoke. And this was not uncommon to have, like, sing-along, you know, stuff. Like, we had this in America, often talked about is there was a show called Sing Along with Mitch, which is a band leader named Mitch Miller from back in the day. And mm. you would have, like, a male chorus on TV in the 60s, and there would be a male chorus singing popular songs, and they'd print the words on it. And, of course, they did this in the oh. theaters, too, with, like, sing-along cartoons and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow the bouncing ball, right? So, in, but in Japan, they had this thing called pop songs without lyrics. And at one point, um, this guy, Nigishi, is hit with inspiration. And he asked one of his engineers who made the eight track tape players, he's like, Hey, can you make me something where I can take an instrumental eight track, pop it in, you know, and sing along into a microphone and then mix it all together and put it out the speaker so I could hear, so I could hear myself as if I was on the radio, you know, singing the music. Yeah. Um, so one of his guys made this to his specifications and it was like instantly like, oh, this is really cool because now I'm not just sort of singing along to the radio. Like it sounds like I'm on the radio because it's coming out of the speaker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Nagishi was pretty much like, oh, this is a product. Like we can, we can, we should make and sell these to bars and clubs so people can do this in, in the bar after work. So this is where it gets a little interesting. We know that karaoke means empty orchestra. But why? Why was that slightly weird phrase like actually chosen and applied to this technology? Well, it turns out that the term predates the machine. Because mm. once Nagishi made this, he started asking around to his friends in, like, he had friends in the radio business, like, hey, I, I have this machine, but what I need is recordings. I need instrumental recordings mm. of songs. Mm. And a friend of his was like, oh, oh, yeah, what you want are karaoke tapes. And he's like, what are those? 
And it turns out that when singers would like go on tour in Japan, sometimes they would go to like maybe far flung areas and not have an orchestra to back them up because they'd be singing Enka songs like old folk music or, you know, like, right? Easy listening kind of stuff with an orchestra. And so instead, they'd bring this tape of the orchestral recording, and then they'd sing ah. along to that. And it was called Empty Orchestra because they'd be performing in a venue with an orchestra pit in front of the stage, ah. but the orchestra pit would be empty. Empty. Uh, it yeah. exists before the, yeah. the, the term. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So or, what that really means is yeah. they're performing to an orchestral music, but the orchestra pit is empty. It's empty. Empty orchestra. <sighs> yep. That's okay. I had I totally had my own folk etymology in my yeah, head yeah, yeah. that it was that it was somehow an allusion to the fact that the the vocals have been dropped out like that's the empty part and you're filling it in I yes. don't know I mean I never yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just never I never I never thought too hard about it that's 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 right. really really interesting so now Nagishi is going off in search of these these tapes which were just supposed to be used for the singers but now he has a reason to sell them to the public right mm-hmm. um and his machine if you just imagine like kind of look like kinda the size of like a small old tube television yeah. um and on the top of it it's got some buttons and it has a coin slot because the idea would be you'd pop in a coin oh. you know and be able to play a song it looked very it was very 1960s fancy so like chrome <laughs> sparkly yeah. lights on the front you know really like sort Sounds of like good. this pre-disco sort of thing going on and he called it he called it the sparko box because it sparkled on the front <laughs> so they they print lyric sparkle books box. and they they make up the eight track tapes and they make the boxes and they kind of start getting these placed into bars in the tokyo area and people absolutely loved them right off the bat. They thought they were yeah. super cool. It was cheap entertainment. They loved it. And the, the bartenders told him, wow, these things are incredible. Never, ever bring them here ever again. Um, <laughs> because these boxes represented a huge threat to the livelihood of the Nagashi, of the drifters. Those guys yeah. who come into the yeah. bar. And they had really close relationships with these bars, with the establishments. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they, the, those, the, the Nagashi and the, the those guys, they were just like, if you put one of these boxes in your bar, we're never coming back. And so, of course, people loved them, but they they also loved the idea of being of having live accompaniment too, right? They weren't just ready to just ditch humans for the machine yeah. immediately. And uh, and so they got rid of them. Nagishi was able to sell these uh, things into uh, love hotels which are mm. hotel rooms that you rent not by the day, but by the hour. But there was, it was just, it was sort of a small business. And so when they <laughs> kind of got the business started, he had some mild mm. success in the Tokyo area, but he, he never patented the idea and he kind of oh, walked no. away from it after a while. No. Yeah. Okay. So just a couple of years later, um, there was a guy named Daisuke Inoue and he, he was in Kobe. Um, and again, working without knowledge of what Nagishi had made, uh, he created a very similar device called the Eight Juke after the eight track tapes in the jukeboxes. Mm-hmm. So and he, I, at and this point, Eno, it's all oh, eight tracks. On. It's okay. all it's late sixties, early seventies, and so the eight track tape is the is the new hotness. There's no cassette. There's certainly there's no laser disc. There's no cassettes. So so Inoue he thought he thought about the technology even more. He added um, a reverb effect because he understood that that most people's voices don't actually sound that good. So he's like, I'm gonna put in some reverb in here and like juice your voice, and I'm gonna make you sound even better coming out of the yeah. speaker. You know, Inoue understood uh, the business of the nagashi, the live performers, and so he was like, I don't just want to take off the shelf karaoke tapes and sell them. I'm going to go have new songs recorded. I'm going to have these songs recorded and we're going to slow them down and and take the pitch down so they're easier to follow for mm. amateurs. So he was mm. doing special, you know, karaoke machine only recordings of these songs. So he didn't patent the machine either. Um, but he actually had a little bit better success in Kobe being able to have them exist alongside the live musicians. And in fact, what happened was very, very quickly as the, as his machines got popular, other companies, other major Japanese makers just sort of jumped immediately in and started yeah. making karaoke machines that were very similar. The thing is, Inoue, he's, he's considered the father of karaoke because his success actually came from, not from the hardware, but because he thought to start doing original instrumental music tracks, mm-hmm. he actually started controlling all the rights side 
of the business. Uh, so yeah, he made all of his money ask, yeah. through creating the music that would be played on these and realizing that you had to do special karaoke tracks for these sort of things. Uh, so yeah. Colin asked, what kind of songs are they singing? Throughout the 1970s, the content was very old school, like easy listening stuff, Enka or Japanese folk songs. And it was enjoyed by guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s on up. Um, <laughs> and for that first decade, karaoke was considered, if you were like a 20-year-old guy working at a Japanese company and mm. your boss was like, all right, everybody, we're going out to this bar. We're going to do some, we're going to do the karaoke machine. It was basically just like, kill me now. Because <laughs> I now have to go with my boss and I have to listen to these old, old geezers, dudes. these so- songs that are older than them. And, you know, while they weep into their How into funny. their beer, you know what oh, I mean? No. Um, what ended up happening? And again, this is in this is in Matt's wonderful book, which you should read um, that I'm cribbing liberally from because he really did some amazing research here. Bruce Springsteen's 1982 album, Born in the USA. Springsteen did a tour in Japan. They they saw all the audiences singing along to all of these songs. And they're just uh, like, oh, this is what we're going to do. So they did. They invested the money into doing a full karaoke album of Bruce Springsteen. And they sold apparently two million <laughs> um, just of the, the karaoke, karaoke version. <laughs> yes. And that is generally credited as being the pivot point where this technology went from being this thing for for old people into the oh, hot new thing for all the young people wanted to go, and then and then it, then it exploded. Wow! Yeah, it exploded. yeah. yeah. The boss Springsteen was the gateway. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Apparently, I wonder if he got any money for that. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure. sure he did. Well, yeah, yeah. They had to get rights. It was probably just some I mean, weird thing where, like, one day if you even <laughs> knew this, like, hey Bruce, you'll never get. Here's your check for like twenty thousand dollars because. <laughs> People in Japan have an instrumental version of their album and they get together in bars and they sing yeah. it. And he's like, weird. I'll take the money. Right. Doesn't even have my voice in it, you say? Okay, I'll catch the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this. My mom, she makes her own karaoke, not just tracks, but videos. Like she taught herself with an old MacBook Pro. She <laughs> taught herself how to download videos from YouTube, buy a, a, a one of these karaoke tracks that, you know, the instrumental tracks. She then puts it together and then types words in the lyrics <laughs> with the bouncing ball. Like she taught herself and she made her own because she's like oh i'm sick of looking at fake beaches with random people like she's got right, she's right. my own she's like i love adele she would splice in like live adele footage with the music video depending on how she likes things put it through iMovie put it through handbrake have it export into like you know many different formats and then burn it onto a disc and then when she goes to a karaoke bar she would give that disc to yep. the to the disc jockey and be like play track four and it even like has like a, a like a menu like a DVD menu like Tina's tracks and then like as a track listing and then she started making these for other people she had like a whole cottage industry of, of personalized videos I oh I have done I've done karaoke uh, exactly one time no yeah yeah like what? actually like get up there and sing one time in my life. Life. Yeah. Wait, what did uh, you sing? Uh, it was, this was in college. Uh, it was at Kipps Bar in Berkeley, California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. Karen and Dana know this, this uh, legendary establishment. Yeah, uh, they don't check IDs. Was, yeah, it was, there were, I would, it, there were, there were four or five of us up there after a pitcher of beer and we got it in our heads that we wanted to sing Man in Motion, you know, the song from St. Elmo's Fire. I, I, I will go on the record as saying that I think we performed an all time, just <laughs> legendarily <laughs> awful version of that song. <laughs> we, we, we got the hurry up signal from the host off stage. <laughs> It was terrible. How do you hurry it up? How do you hurry it up? Okay. Just truly terrible. Afterward, he was he was like, "Well, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. It shows you you don't even need to know the words to have a good time up here. So come on down." Oh, oh okay. Yeah. That's so funny. This is reminding me of um, I, when I studied abroad in New Zealand. Uh, we'd go out clubbing, and it'd be like a dance club playing dance music, and then all of a the sudden, they'd start playing "The Gambler" by Kenny Rogers, and everyone <laughs> would just start singing it. It was really. So- 
funny. Yes. And like out of nowhere, such a a random song. Yeah. And it would happen almost every night. At the club. <laughs> at the club, at the dance club. Yep. <laughs> My mom also likes to remind me that she is the winner of um The Voice once when she was on a cruise ship, which is also something that we <laughs> oh, can't okay. that they had on the cruise ship. She said <laughs> elaborate the voice set with judges and the rotating chairs. Did they rotate their chairs? Yeah. Did you, okay. And so she like, won! After the chase, did she say, well, you know, I should remind you that I am also the winner of a game show. <laughs> I won yes. the voice. The voice. I won the voice. On a cruise ship once. <laughs> what season? Well, it was the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That, that's in international waters, too. So, you know, yeah, that yeah, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So, guys, it has now been a year or so since lockdown first started. I I want to ask you guys, what's something that you bought that helped your lockdown life easier or better? Mm. Shorts. (laughs) Yes. Shorts. I don't wear shorts. Like it's not that that that's not a fashion choice that I make. So I did not that's true. own I don't think any. I've, ever I've never you seen shorts. you wearing shorts. I've never seen you and Superman in the same room at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, I so no, and so uh, but eventually, once it hits summer, we don't have air conditioning in our oh. house. Just uh, really uncomfortable. I bought uh, two pair of very heavy, fancy sweatpants, and I regret nothing about it. I got AstroTurf for back patio, and now Ooh. it's really nice to go out there. So I made it a little more parkish. So here I have some interesting shopping data surrounding last year's lockdown. Mm. I have compiled mm. uh, some of the top selling items, some you'd expect, some may be a surprise. And I will share some uh, 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 very exciting stats along with some trivia questions. Let's Bring it back to May 2020. The ring light. The ring light. A lot of a lot of yes. work from home people. Zoom life is is happening. So a lot of people invested in a ring light. Uh have you guys gotten a ring light? I have. Yes, I have. I, I oh. literally just got one recently. It's a little tiny one. It goes on a phone, but I just needed to illuminate myself. Yeah, you put it around a camera. It's a light that is a LED light. Most of the time that is in shape of a ring, goes around your camera, and it helps make you look better. Ring light was the number one bestseller in the cell phone and accessories category on Amazon for weeks and weeks. Uh, This is a big deal because before that category was charger plugs and uh, the the glass protector for phones. And so it was kind of insane that, you know, for a couple for a couple weeks, this was the number one spot. Do you guys know originally what was the ring light uh, invented for to, to photograph? What specific thing was it trying to photograph well <sighs> colin product photography like the phone or a watch or something like that i don't know oh, like want- with a white background yeah, yeah, exactly like-, like in a little yeah where you want no shadows i don't nope, know nope nope hmm. chris you- oh dana is it is it food it's like not food, food but that's a good guess chris it's not human faces you're warm <laughs> Makeup? Uh, the the predecessor no the predecessor of the what we know as the ring light is actually a ring flash. So ring flash mm-hmm, uh, existed mm-hmm. in photography for a long time. That was invented in 1952, and huh. it was invented for dental photography. Oh. It was so people could take good bright pictures of of teeth, and that's right. the thing with the ring light is because the ring shape and it's so close to the lens, it it really eliminates shadows. Right. Yeah. Um, and it makes people's mouths look better. Great. Just gorgeous. <laughs> just fabulous. Just some yeah. fabulous mouth shots. All right. Baking supplies. Yeast sales, yeast, jumped yes. 245% in, uh, during a week in April, 400% during 
uh, the month of April. Actually, yeast was sold out at a um. lot of stores. And of course, things that are related to baking or to yeast baking, especially bread baking, food scales uh, were mm-hmm. top sellers, um, mm-hmm. Dutch ovens. Because that's how uh, artisanal breads are baked. My life, a, uh, one. Yep, for sure. Yep, yep. Because yeast was sold out in a lot of places, people then started to make sourdough bread <laughs> because instead of buying packaged yeast, we'll just use wild yeast that's in the air. So um, a lot of people started sourdough baking because of the yeast shortage. So my question here, uh, buzz in. What company is trademarked as the original San Francisco sourdough? Oh, that was Colin. Uh, I I never know how to pronounce it. Is it Boudin or Boudin? <laughs> you know, I'm I'll be ignorant both ways. I guess that's my I guess. say Boudin. But okay, I don't know. Right. I believe it's Boudin. <laughs> Correct. Okay. April 2020 appliances. The top appliance, actually, the top couple of them, it were different brands, uh, were freezers. Were additional oh, freezers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then yeah. and then the second appliance that's not a freezer is the instant pot. My oh. question for you guys: What country did instant pot originate from? Hmm. Oh, interesting. Chris, Taiwan. Incorrect. Ooh. Mm. What country is Instant Pot from uh, or invented? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out another one if, yeah, if yeah. I can. Mm-hmm. Okay, India. Incorrect. Well, it is Canada. Oh, oh really? Canada, Canadian company, Canadian invention. We the, own the, one, and I would never have guessed that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Let's move on to the arts and crafts category. Let's bring it back. In April 2020, think about it. What craft item or material topped entirely the arts and crafts category on Amazon and was sold out in most physical stores? (sighs) Colin. Uh, Knitting supplies like yarn and and, or crocheting, like that family of stuff. Oh, I know. Correct. So Dana. I think elastic or fabric because everybody's making masks, homemade masks. Yes. The top contenders for that category were all white elastic straps. People were making masks like crazy. And for a while, there was a shortage. You couldn't even buy elastic. All right. We're moving on to shoes. Comfort is a big deal. So it's not a surprise that Crocs did very, very well uh, in the past year for the lockdown. The the Crocs classic clog. Originally a boat shoe. Crocs were boat shoes. When they were unveiled in 2001, they only sold 200 pairs. My My question for you. So part of the Crocs design, as we all know, uh, there is like on the front top of the shoe, there's these holes, right, for Mm -hmm. ventilation. Um, and the Crocs company sells decorations that you can plug into the little holes. What do you call these decorations? Oh, oh. man. I've seen these. Like, they have so many celebrity, so many now celebrity promo crossover ones. Like, I mean, like. Uh. Are they rocks? No. No. Chris. Crockholes. they are called gibbets oh gibbets okay okay. j-i-b-b-i-t-z moving on in addition to yeast in april 2020 uh the meat category was uh pretty high up there a lot of people buying up meat uh nielsen reported that there was a jump 379 percent jump for spiral hams, spiral oh, wow. hams topped the number one category for in-store week over week, huh. almost 400%, close to Easter. And so yeah. maybe it had a <laughs> sure. big yeah. tick in Like in everybody's Easter celebrating ham. by themselves. So everybody gets a one instead of one for your whole family. Right. My trivia question for you is, before the spiral cut patent expired in 1981, you Hmm. could only buy spiral hams from what company store? Uh, Colin. 
That has got to be the Honey Baked Ham Company. Yes, the Honey Baked Ham had stores. So wait, Um, no one else could sell spiral cut hams until 1981? No one else could sell it before 1981. That makes so much sense now why they could support their own Honey Baked Ham store. As a kid, I swear, as a kid, I never understood like, there's, I'm like, mom, they just sell hams? I don't understand. How do they stay in business? Wow. Yep. The person who started the Honey Bake Company, he actually invented the spiral cut machine. And so after 1981, the patent expired. So then any company, they can sell it at a grocery store or a, other other places. And so the machine came first, then came the Honey Baked Company um, <laughs> who had exclusive ham yeah, spiral ham rights. ham rights fortune, right ham rights um in the first couple weeks of march when lockdown happened in 2020 webcams had a 179 percent year over year jump here's my trivia question to you guys the first ever documented webcam was used to show what oh <laughs> <laughs> This is a family show, right? It, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, hint, it is not a living thing. Oh, okay. Mm. It's got to be what? Like 80s, 90s, you guys think? I mean, it can't be like early 90s, maybe? 1991. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll guess like like a like a bird feeding or like bears eating salmon or but something like that. Those are like live things, guess. right? Right. Those are living things. You know what, Colin, you're on the right track. Uh, 1991, this happened, I believe, in, in Cambridge. It's a bunch of people working oh. at a... Oh, oh. Chris. Is it the pitch drop? It's not the pitch drop. You're oh. also close. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the first webcam broadcasted... The coffee machine. Oh, that's right. Uh, students and programmers to help keep an eye on the coffee levels to check the status <laughs> so so that they don't have to walk all the way through a hallway to get to the coffee machine to find out that it's out of coffee. All right. What about fitness equipment? So in September 2020, Peloton, the exercise bike company, finally announced its first ever quarterly profit. Before then, they made no money and has been losing money. But first time, September 2020, they finally uh, announced their first ever quarterly profit, 172% surge in sales and more than 1 million people subscribing to its classes. And this was uh, September 2020. What does the word Peloton mean? (laughs) It is not a made-up name, which I thought it was. Uh, Colin. <laughs> the uh, It comes from, uh, I know the term anyway, from like bike racing, like Tour de France and things like that. It, it's the pack of, of, the, of the, the main pack of bikers. You are correct. Mm. Peloton oh, is the sure, group okay. of bikers. As you watch Tour de France or other cycling, it's, it's the pack, you know, which is kind of a, actually a really good name. It's a community of bikers all moving together. All right, good job, everybody! Yay for spending Great. money. <laughs> Get it, everybody. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. And we got one last segment. Colin. Yeah. So I feel like when we were a few months into the pandemic, you know, you started to see sort of like on the news, this weird hybrid of like, sober commentary on our times, but also kind of upbeat general interest story. And I saw a story of um, Italy's wine windows have returned. And I was like, oh, <laughs> why? Okay, wine. I like wine. I'll, I'll, I like windows. I'll take a look at that. I need a wine window. I'll quote one here. Here's an article I read. Uh, 
History is repeating itself. In Italy, wine windows once used to help prevent contagion during the bubonic plague being reopened by the region's bars and restaurants for coronavirus-friendly delivery. I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I kind of looked and what the wine windows are is Uh uh, it's a, a, a window in a wall of an establishment has a tiny little door. I mean, small, I mean, you know, not much bigger than like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Tenor of the articles was basically, this was an invention that during the Italian plague, uh, wine merchants and restaurants came up with as a way to continue serving wine to their patrons without actually having to contact them. And that it had, you know, fallen out of use for hundreds of years now. And now that the pandemic is back, we found this use again for the wine windows. And it was sort of a feel good story about how uh, these Italian venues, <laughs> and, you know, Italy, of course, was hit particularly hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Early on, yeah. And very, yeah, right. And very rigid lockdown. The wine windows, or in Italian, and I apologize for butchering the Italian, the bucchette del vino, literally just a, you know, a window for a wine, basically, uh, was this was sort of a resurgence being seen. And you know, there was a lot of uh, press around. Maybe this can be, maybe they can come back even after pandemic is gone. And as places were sort of slowly opening up again, you could go and you know, plunk down your money and you get the glass of wine through the little cute little door window in the side of the thing and you drink it outside and everybody's happy. So I thought this was really cool. And I, if you go online and they're beautiful, like you can find photos of them. There is in fact an association uh, devoted to the, they're called the wine windows association and they're very ornate, you know, little brickwork. The ones, a lot of them have been uh, renovated in, in recent years in the last few years, especially. So, but then I got thinking to myself, it's like, well, Okay. I mean, look, I, I'm not Mr. World Traveler, but I, I've been around. I've been to Europe before. I mean, it's like, why, why have I never heard or seen of these, seen these things before? I've never heard of a wine hmm. window, like anywhere in hmm. France I've been or, you know, Germany or even other parts of Italy. So I, I read a little bit more and the articles all talked about this was something in Florence. Every article is like hmm. the Florentine oh. region. Down. And so it's like, okay, there's something more to it. Something specific to Florence. It's like, okay. Uh, now, thanks to a couple really good articles here that I found. One was uh, on the great, great, great site. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, Atlas Obscura. Yes. Yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome site. Uh, there's an article by uh, Lisa Harvey from 2019. Okay, so to give you some sense of, oh, maybe this is before pandemic started. Uh, and then I also found some great writing by a writer named Robin Giesling. And I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. But she seems to be the expert on Bucchette del Vino. So, okay, why just Florence? So apparently the history of the wine window, the Bucchetti del Vino in Florence is really tied into the local history and to the Medici family in particular. So oh. you guys have probably heard that name before, right? If you've, if you've never heard that name, the, the, the Medici or Medici, if you prefer, family, uh, arguably maybe the most powerful family in history uh, over hundreds of years uh, in, in medieval times in Italy dominated the, the, the banking scene, the political scene. They generated Our- popes, dukes, uh, you know, queens, you know, Catherine de' Medici. I mean, she was part of this family. Yeah, exactly. They were, you know, the premier patrons of so much Renaissance art that, that, that we know today. One of the Medici, uh, Cosimo de' Medici, um, uh, was the Duke, okay, of the uh, Florentine region in the uh, 1500s. It seems that back then, you know, there were many, many wealthy families in Florence and in that part of Italy. I mean, you know, really the, 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 you know, the cradle of the Renaissance, right? If you had this giant family plot of land, you might have a vineyard and you might produce your own grapes. And you might produce your own wine from those grapes. So a lot of these families would produce, you know, copious amounts of wine and they would sell it to local taverns and merchants and things like that. And they would sell, you know, wine from whatever estate or whatever family. (laughs) This will not surprise you. Uh, Like anything else involving uh, powerful, wealthy families, they were trying to find ways around paying taxes. So when <laughs> even back then. yes, even yeah, you know, maybe even maybe even especially back then, yeah. A lot of the wealthy families in the region were basically tired of paying the taxes they would have to pay on selling the wine, on the profits they would make from selling the wines to the taverns and the merchants to then resell them. And they essentially lobbied 
Cosimo de' Medici. He was the he was the Grand Duke of Tuscany region, not just Florence, the entire region, the Grand Duke of Tuscany. <laughs> Can you? We'll, we'll make it worth your while. You know, we'll we'll give you some some money here on the side if you make it worth our while to basically exempt us from taxes if we can sell directly. So he he basically oh. passed the law allowing the wealthy you know manor homes to sell wine directly to the public and not have to pay any of the taxes on it. That's just free profit, right? With so no, with no bar middleman, right? Exactly, with no bar middleman. Mm-hmm. So what you would see is in the region they are the you know these you know giant I mean giant manor houses and they would build out in the wine hut. You know they would build a little hole in the side of the hut. They would staff somebody to stay in there collect the money from people who would come by and want to fill up with some wine from the local vineyard and they would take the money the person would get the wine they would pass it back and forth through this little window so like the riffraff doesn't actually come on to the wealthy manor estate right it was really a way of just it had nothing to do with the plague it was like mm-hmm. limiting the interaction with the the public to just Give me your money. Here's your because wine. Someone's house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it might be, you know, like on the edge of the property, but still. That went on for a, a good while, you know. Over the next 100, 200 years, sort of uh, this, this process became sort of accepted among the wealthier families. Eventually, they passed an edict in the region uh, in the 1700s that anyone who had the the means to sell wine on their home or their venue could punch a little hole in the wall and sell it. You only get wine <laughs> from the good holes. Yeah. So at, so at that point into the, into the 70s, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Hey, you guys want some wine? I know a good hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So huh. like I say, there is a wine window association in Florence. They, they list and track They're like a historical. Oh, you know, fun. They track uh, at least, uh, it sounds like 150, they estimate there may be as many 300 wine windows in the Florentine region still. Now, here's the really interesting thing that I learned in doing a little bit more deep dive on this, because it was so fascinating to me. And once you see a couple pictures of them, they're so charming. So they fell out of use even, even after this, even after the 1700s, they fell out of use. And a lot of them were forgotten about. Buildings change hands over decades, yeah, over yeah, hundreds yeah. of years. You don't remember. Not everybody you know, wants a bar out of the side of their house. Exactly, you know? Right. <laughs> you might turn it into a hotel instead of a restaurant. Right. So a lot of them got just bricked over. There was mm-hmm. um, major flooding in Florence in the 1960s. And during the flooding, some of these Bucchetti del Vino basically were uh, revealed when the wet walls came down and stucco fell off. And some people were like, oh, I didn't even know we had a Bucchetti del Vino here. Oh, This fun. is kind of cool. Yeah. Just before quarantine hit, 2016, 17, 18, 19, the, this historical association was trying to really get the merchants who had them, if they either to, operate them or yeah, just cause like they want to put up little plaques by all the historical oh, ones. Oh, cute! Yeah, and so it really sounds like this might be a feel-good ending for the wine windows of the Florence region. <laughs> that after pandemic and lockdown all goes away, maybe we can kind of keep this awesome little magical way of getting wine. Oh, <laughs> I like it. I love it. <laughs> It, now that is absolutely on my on my bucket list is I want to go get a glass of wine from a wine window in Florence, Italy. Nice. All right. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot of stuff about war, pandemic, depression inventions, <laughs> uh, karaoke, wine windows, and things that you bought during the pandemic. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and on all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.